Don't you just feel sorry for Thomas sometimes? I mean, how would you like to go through all of history remembered by the worst moment in your life? For all the things that Thomas might have done, the one thing that we've all honed in on is doubting Thomas. But I'd like for us to see Thomas in a little bit different light tonight. I'd like for us to see leading Thomas. I'd like for us to recognize that that there's far more to this Thomas than just that one incident of weakness and sin where he doubted just as all the others had done. And his doubt stood out in the biblical record and now we've just branded him as the doubter. We recognize that even in the Scripture, Thomas, we encounter him more than once. And sometimes in our haste to get to John chapter 20 and talk about all his doubts, we miss John chapter 11 and verse 16. In John chapter 11 and verse 16, Thomas stood out. He was the one that stands up among the apostles, not Peter. Peter is often the one that stands up as the leader who who is ready to jump into battle and move forward. But this time it wasn't Peter. This time it was Thomas. And just let's set the stage a little bit by reading from verse 1 of John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Jesus had left Judea because they were going to stone him. And now he's wanting to go back and the other apostles are scared and they don't want to go. And it's Thomas who stands up and says, let us go. Let's follow him. Let's go with him that we may die with him. I want you to notice he didn't say, let's go with him and if he dies, we'll die too. He said, let us go that we may die with him. He was certain that if Jesus went back to Judea, his master was going to die. And he was certain that if they went with him, they were going to die too. But Thomas didn't stay back. He didn't falter. He said, let's follow the Master and let's go with Him and die with Him because He's worth it. He stepped up. Here was, in fact, a great moment in Thomas' life. Here was a moment of leadership, a moment of decisiveness, a moment of commitment and loyalty, unparalleled. What a great man Thomas was. What a great example we have here. And I'd like for us just to take a few moments tonight and and take a look at some lessons that we can learn when we encounter Thomas at his best. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we praise you because you are awesome and powerful. 
Because you can take us despite how weak we are and you can make us strong. Because through your grace and through your power, we can be great servants. And we ask that you would be with each of us and help us to be like Thomas was here, committed and loyal, prepared to even die for you because we've given our lives to you. And Father, we pray that you would strengthen us to have faith and to walk by that faith and to pursue our potential that we have because of your grace in our lives. And we're thankful, Father, that you allow us to be a part of your plan. We're thankful that you allow us to to give ourselves to you. We recognize that, that what we deserve is for you to abandon us. What we deserve is for you to allow us to be lost. But you've sent your Son so that by your grace we can be saved and we can be a part of your plan and accomplish things in your kingdom. Help us, Father, to glorify and honor you. Father, we love you so much and we thank you for loving us. For your Son's name we pray. Amen. When I take a look at encountering Thomas at his death, when I see Thomas leading, the very first lesson that I recognize from this is that we must be committed to the Lord even if it means death. We must be committed to the Lord even if it means death. Back in John chapter 10 and verse 31, we find out that the Jews in Judea picked up stones again to stone him. This wasn't even the first time. But here again, they had picked up stones to stone him. They were going to execute him. And Jesus gets away, as he did on so many occasions. And then in verse 40, he went again across the Jordan to a place where John had been baptizing at first, and he remained there. He left the region. And now, because they've heard about Lazarus and his sickness and his death, he's wanting to go back. The disciples don't want to go back. In fact, the disciples try to talk him out of it. There in verse 8, Rabbi, the Jews were just... This is chapter 11. The Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Now, hey, listen, we're sorry about Lazarus, and that's tough, and he's our friend, and we love him, and we care about him, but hey, what good does it do if we get over there and he's died because he's sick, and we die because they stone us? Now, they were about to kill you. Let's just stay over here and let all that kind of die down a little bit, and, and then maybe we'll get to go back. Then in verse 12, as Jesus is demonstrating that he's going to go, they start trying to convince him, really, there's no need for you to go. If he's asleep, in verse 12, then he'll recover. His body will take over, and, and while he's resting, he'll heal, and, and there's really no need for you to go and try to perform a miracle on him. Just, just let nature take its course, and we'll stay over here in safety, and Lazarus will get better over there. And they're all trying to say, you know, let's, let's just stay over here. But Thomas stands up as Jesus, and the picture that I almost get is Jesus is saying, I'm going. And Jesus has started walking. He's hit the road headed for Judea, and the apostles are just kind of standing back there a little bit dumbfounded, a little bit awestruck, just thinking, what on earth are we going to do? And Thomas starts off after him. He turns around and he looks at the apostles and says, hey guys, let's go with him that we may die. And as I pointed out in the introduction, Thomas doesn't say, let's go there. If possibly we die, we might die. He says, hey, let's go and die with him. Our master's going to his death, but he's our master. We need to be loyal. We need to be committed. And, and if, if this is what following him means, if it means going to our death, then that's exactly what we're going to do. Let's go do it. And they all follow with him. What commitment that demonstrated. In just a few chapters, in John chapter 15 and verse 13, Jesus is going to talk about that. As he said, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friend. That's where Thomas was. That was the commitment that Thomas had right here. That, that great love where he would go and lay down his life for and with his friend. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. In the book of Revelation chapter 2 
and in verse 10. Jesus is speaking to the church at Smyrna, and He says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Here when He says, be faithful unto death, it doesn't mean be faithful until someday in your old age you just die. That phrase actually is the picture of being faithful even if being faithful leads to your death. If the fact that you're submitting to Jesus and doing His will causes somebody to kill you, He says, be faithful unto death. We've got to be so committed to the Lord that even if it's going to kill us, we're going to follow along with our Master. We've got to be like Thomas, willing to say, let's go with Him that we may die with Him. That's the kind of commitment that we need to have. And when we think about Thomas, and, and we, we put aside that moment of weakness that we all know about and remember, and just think about what Thomas has done to be an apostle, really, it, it doesn't surprise us that much that Thomas would be willing to give his life with Jesus because he had already given his life to Jesus. Now, we don't know exactly what happened in Thomas first encounter with Jesus when he became one of Jesus' disciples, but, but we know what it meant to be an apostle. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 28, as Peter was talking about what all the apostles had done, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 28, the rich young ruler has, has abandoned Jesus and said he wouldn't give up anything for Jesus. And Peter, talking about what all the apostles had done, began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Thomas' ability to say, let's go with him and die with him, wasn't something in a vacuum. It wasn't something that just happened immediately. Thomas had already given his life to Jesus, and so for him, it was a small matter now to say, I'll give my life for Jesus. And that's the thing that we need to remember, is that if we're going to give our life for Jesus, the first thing we have to do is give our lives to Him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and verse 5, we know about Paul writing to the Corinthians as he was trying to encourage them to increase their gift for those in Judea who were suffering. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 5, he was talking about the Macedonians and how even in their poverty, they had done so much and, and provided so much grace for those who were in need. And it says in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 8, this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Why was it that they were willing to part with their material goods even in their poverty? Why were they willing to give their material goods to Jesus' people? Because they had already given themselves to Jesus. And here's the fact. In that moment of testing, when we're standing there on the road and Jesus is leading and all the disciples are standing around wondering, what should we do? If we're going to be Thomas and say, let's go with Him that we may die with Him, that's going to have to begin early. I mean, if right now, if we're not willing to sacrifice our time for Jesus, if we're not willing to sacrifice our material things for Jesus, if we're not willing to sacrifice our pleasures for Jesus, if we're not willing to sacrifice our other pursuits for Jesus, if we're not willing to sacrifice our sins for Jesus, then we must never deceive ourselves into thinking we'll be willing to sacrifice our lives for Him. We have to give ourselves to the Lord. Holy. 100%. Not part of it. Not trying to do enough so that we get to go to heaven. Not giving enough so that we get to go to heaven. Giving our lives wholly to Jesus. Because that's where life is. What would we give in exchange for our soul? What an example Thomas sets for us. Committed. Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friend. Have we loved Jesus enough that we've given him our lives? 
The second thing I recognize is that even those who sin can be great servants. Well, let's face it, the fact is we can't look at this moment of greatness without remembering in the back of our minds that in a couple of chapters we're going to read about his amazing doubt. We're going to read about the fact that despite that his, his friends have all seen it and he's heard several eyewitness reports from people that he could trust, we know he's going to doubt. But we just can't help but see right here, look at this great moment. Tonight's lesson is almost kind of like the mirror image of this morning. This morning, we pointed out that everyone has time of weakness, but I want us to look at the other side of it tonight. And I think I kind of stepped on tonight's lesson a little bit. I think I may have said some of this in this morning's lesson, but we'll just repeat it again. You know, the point being that here was a man who had times of weakness, just like all of us. But even in that, he had times of greatness. Even a person who had doubts, even a person who had committed sins, did great things for Jesus. And what does that mean about all of us? What does that mean about all of us? Sometimes we become so distracted by what we've done in the past and by the sins that we've committed, we have the idea that we can't do great things for God. Somebody else will have to do great things for God. I'll show up to church, and I'll sit here in the pew, but you know, the fact is, I know what I am, and I know what I've done, and I just can't do great things for God. Somebody else will have to do that. But look at Thomas. This is the same Thomas who, in John chapter 14, demonstrated his misunderstanding. In fact, one day we might take a look at that passage. I call that one encountering the average Thomas. This was just Thomas just his every day, where he misunderstood. Questions, you know, Jesus had said about being the way, the truth, and the life, and they know the way, and Thomas is, is all questioning that and misunderstanding what Jesus is talking about. It's the same Thomas who misunderstood what Jesus was saying. This is the same Thomas who, in John chapter 20, is going to doubt. Now, some folks might say to us, well, yeah, see, we see Thomas at his greatness, but he fell. Because both of those other things happened after this. No. Acts chapter 1 on the day of Pentecost. In the upper room before the day of Pentecost, Thomas was there. In Acts chapter 5, when the disciples were arrested and thrown in jail, Thomas was there. In Acts chapter 8, when Paul started the persecution and all the Christians scattered but the apostles remained behind and the church began to build up again, Thomas was there. See, Thomas was a great servant of the Lord, even though he did some bad things. And I'm not trying to say that doing bad things is okay. I'm not saying we don't worry about that, we don't try to overcome that. I'm just pointing out that, listen, let's not get bogged down or distracted by the, by the boneheaded mistakes that we've made. Because we can be like Thomas. And even though we've made mistakes, we can move forward and be great servants of God. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 through 14. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Brothers, and this is Paul talking. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Just forget about what's happened in the past. Forget about the bad things. Forget about the mistakes. Forget about the sins. And reach forward. Reach forward and say, today's the new day. I'm going to do the next right thing. I'm going to serve God today. I'm not going to worry about how I messed up yesterday. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to serve God today. And I'm going to press on for that crown. And, and I'm going to submit to God. And I'm going to do great things in His kingdom. Why? Because when I press on for the goal, relying on God, His grace works through me. You remember Ephesians chapter 3? Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, 
according to the power at work within us. Uh, whose power at work within us? Our power? Of course not. That's God's power. Only when we put that stuff behind us and move forward saying that even though I've messed up, God can still work through me will we do great things. And you can do great things in the kingdom of God by the power of God. If you'll just recognize, hey, I'm like Thomas. I've made mistakes. I messed up. But I can still be a great servant of God if I just submit to Him today. The third thing that I learned from Thomas is that at our best, we are not better than anyone else. This morning we learned from Thomas that at our worst, we are not worse than anyone else. And that's important because sometimes when we've messed up, we begin to think that we're second-class Christians, and and that can keep us and our congregation from ever reaching its potential. But there's another side of this. There's there's another problem that we can have on the opposite end of the spectrum, spectrum that is equally as insidious, equally as destructive, and that is when we've done something good and we begin to rest on it. And we begin to get arrogant about it. And we begin to think about how great we are. You know, Thomas, sometime in his life, could have looked back and he could have remembered, boy, man, I remember that day that Jesus was heading back to Judea and all the other 11 guys, they were all a bunch of cowards. They were sitting back there and I was, I was moving out ahead. And I told them, come on, guys, let's go, let's go sacrifice ourselves for Jesus. Boy, if they could just all have been like me. How easy it would be for him to focus on that one moment of greatness and think that somehow he's better than everybody else. And yet, how could he forget that time when he botched it so bad? Yes, we can all do great things for God, but when we have, let's not think we're better than anyone else. Because even at our best, we're just like everybody else. We are where we are because of the grace of God. The great things we've done, we've done because God has given us opportunity and by His grace has allowed us. We've done it by the strength and power that God has given us. I have no doubt that for Thomas, that moment of profound doubting remained in his mind as something that would humble him. To keep him from looking at how amazing he might be. Think about Paul talking about his thorn in the flesh that God gave him so that he wouldn't boast because of the greatness of revelation that he had received. Paul actually dealt with this type of attitude in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 20 and 22. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 20 through 22, Paul talked about how the body fits together. He says, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. What's Paul's point there? Paul's point is everyone is necessary. And and when we've done great things, let's not think that we're better than everybody else. When we've been able to be the eyes and look forward with all kinds of vision and see what's coming, we can't look at the hand and say, I don't need you. I'm better than you. I'm too good for you. Why don't you just go on someplace else? Even at our best, we're not better than anyone else. And immediately following Paul's teaching here about how the body all fits together, we get into chapter 13 where he talks about love. And in verse 4 of 13 it says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Love doesn't boast. 
Love is not arrogant. It remembers what Jesus, what Jesus said through Paul in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, that we ought not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And also what Jesus said through Paul in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3, that we must not think we're something when we're nothing. Because that's really where we are. That's where Thomas was. God is the one who should be glorified for this great moment, not Thomas. And for the great things that we have done, we are just servants who are doing what we should have done all along because of the opportunities and the grace that God has given us, even at our best. We're not better than anyone else. We're all in the same boat. And therefore, we need to be there to help one another and serve one another and lift one another up and walk with one another on the way to heaven. And the final thing that strikes me as I consider this meeting with Thomas at his best is that leadership is always necessary. Leadership is always necessary. Up to verse 16, the disciples couldn't get rocked off center. They were all hanging back. They were afraid. It wasn't until Thomas stepped up and said, guys, let's go. It wasn't until somebody walked out in the front and said, we need some leadership here. Let's go. He was able to push them off center and get them to follow Jesus. I want you to notice that Thomas did not say, hey, guys, y'all need to. Y'all need to go on with him. And if y'all die, y'all die. Thomas said, hey, guys, come on. We need to go with him. You see, what we recognize about leadership there is that, that leadership is not somebody that prods and pokes and pushes folks out ahead of them to test the waters for them. And leadership is also not those who do walk out in front but then try to grab and nag and pull them along. Leadership are those who blaze the trail, who start walking and encourage others to walk with them. And that's what we need. We need leadership. As I, as I consider this picture, as I, as I see the picture in my mind of, of Jesus starting his trek and Thomas saying to the men as, as he starts to walk, hey guys, let's go with him and die with him, I can't help but think about the phenomenon that, that we know as group paralysis. That's the psychological phenomenon that allow an entire group to watch a woman being beaten to death and not do anything about it. How many news stories have we heard about about somebody screaming because they're being beaten to death outside an apartment complex and everybody heard the screaming but nobody made any calls? I think there was a story one time about a woman being beaten to death on a, on a bridge and then finally being thrown over and all these cars had stopped and they were just watching and nobody did anything. It wasn't because nobody there didn't want to do anything. It's because of the psychological phenomenon called group paralysis. Everybody's sitting there saying, I hope somebody will do something about it, but nobody does. And I'm afraid that's what happens in churches. How many people out there is Satan beating to death? And we all sit in here saying, I sure hope somebody will do something about that someday. What we need is leadership. Somebody to step out and say, I'm leading the way. I'm blazing the trail. And I know, of course, you're saying to me, well, Evan, that ought to be you. Well, yeah, you're right. It ought to be me. It ought to be somebody. It ought to be you. One of us needs to do it. We need leadership. Somebody will step up to the plate and say, this is the way we're going. Why don't you all come with me? And let's give ourselves to the Lord. Leadership is always necessary. We need folks who will be like Thomas right here. Who will step out and not be paralyzed by the group. But lead the way. You know what often happens in that group paralysis mode? Once somebody breaks out of it, 
and takes that first step, most of the others come along and do the same. And that's what we need. Leadership is always necessary. We need people to step up, start walking behind Jesus, and encouraging everyone else, hey, why don't you come with us? That we might die with our Lord. What a great example Thomas is. Did you know that Thomas was this great? I mean, let's face it. If somebody said, uh, let's have a list of the great servants of the Bible, who might you list? Paul, Peter, Joseph, Moses, Abraham. But any of us said, you know, hey, Thomas. And yet, did anyone anywhere demonstrate greater servanthood and discipleship and loyalty and commitment than Thomas did right here? I mean, there, there may have been others that had more pages that talked about the things they did, but, but nobody did more than Thomas did right here. What a great servant. And we can be like that. We can be like that. We'll just humble ourselves before Jesus, follow His lead, and work to lead others. Humbly. Recognizing that we're no better than anyone else. We're just servants who have been given opportunity by God's grace. This is the Thomas we need to remember. Leading Thomas. This is the Thomas we need to follow. 